Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting, home of the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, Flight School. MIPS Flight School helps clinicians earn their highest possible MIPS score in a group coaching setting and at an affordable price. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're joined by Sarah Benight, Director of Product Marketing at Stericycle Communications. Sarah aligns product marketing and content strategy in the healthcare market. Her experience in health policy and product development is helping shape how she communicates and guides an authentic message in marketing to both patients and consumers. Let's dive in. So I grew up with a mom who was a labor and delivery nurse. And so my ultimate dream was to be the doctor delivering the baby. So I wanted to be a pediatrician or an obstetrician, do something with children in the medical field. And so I went to school and have a biology degree. And now I'm in product marketing. <laughs> which It is sounds a... <laughs> like you started on the logical path to be a physician. Yep. So I... What I, happened in the middle? I, yeah. So I started going through school and I was ready to start life. I was ready to jump in and I realized I had a lot more school left. And a lot of the things that my medical, my, I was pre-med, a lot of my pre-med colleagues were studying for MCATs and doing this and that. And I was in my early 20s and I wanted to travel and I wanted to go study abroad and I wanted to do all these fun things and experience life. So I realized I can be in the medical field or the healthcare field without being a doctor. Um, and I didn't realize that that was actually a possibility. I, it was in the back of my mind. I thought about research. I thought about laboratory work but got out into the real world, um, was hired by a company after a, about an eight-year maternity leave in between working for a manufacturing company, um, taking care of three kids and, t- and when my girls were old enough and going to preschool and could talk to me and tell me what was going on with their day, I decided I'm ready to get back into the field. And I had a company, a small integration company for Meditech, and they hired me on as a product specialist and I learned meaningful use from the ground up. 
And I also helped build them a product from the ground up and get certified for meaningful use. Through that, becoming a product manager. Um, over the years, I wanted to be more into patient-facing technology. Integration's fun. It's very technical, but it's also very messy. And we hear about interoperability all the time. Um, I think that's the thing you'll hear me harp on the most is why aren't we interoperable? But um, I moved from this Meditech small integration company to a next-gen integration company and finally had the opportunity to work where I am now at Stericycle Communication Solutions as a product marketing manager. Um, they call it a marketing strategist. But what my role there was is to work with this patient-facing technology, communications, um, picking up the phone and scheduling an appointment, scheduling online, which is my preference, um, getting automatic text reminders for appointments, preventative care. So I was really able to get more into the patient-facing technology where I wanted to be, the fun stuff, the stuff everyone talks about at HEMS, the stuff that makes patients' life easier and better. Um, and having a father who's struggling with a Parkinson's diagnosis right now, how they communicate and keep him interested and focused on his care is really important to me. Um, how his doctor lets him know, are you checking this? Are you monitoring this? Have you taken your medicine? Have you taken your dopamine? That became kind of a, a big part of my life about three or four years ago when he was diagnosed. So the opportunity to work with this technology, uh, I jumped at it. Um, I left the company I was at and I've been at Stericycle now for three years and now I'm the director of product marketing over there. So is some of your experience just obviously in being a mom, being a consumer of healthcare, being kind of the CMO of your family, mm -hmm. and now helping take care of your father, seeing the importance of that interaction that they're having with him. Outside of the marketing space, do you also provide a lot of feedback to the team over there about the product itself ever? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you have an opinion about it. <laughs> I do have an opinion about it, and I was just talking to someone about 10 minutes ago and said, my dog has, I have better access to my dog's records than I have to my children's records. If somebody wants to say, is your dog current on Bordetella and rabies and uh, canine distemper, I can pull it up right now and tell you when the last time they had that vaccine was. But my daughter's starting seventh grade, they have to have three required vaccines to start seventh grade in the state of Texas. I don't remember if she had it. I had to pick up the phone. I had to call my daughter, her pa pediatrician and say, can you guys check, check her, her vaccine record? They had to get in, log into the computer. We don't have a patient portal at that doctor yet. I know. <laughs> what? Um, well, you joke about your dog. We used to have a coworker that used to joke before, you know, that his dog had access to a portal when portals were, you know, they were trying to sell it, quote, sell it to a patient to get them to use it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my dog has better records or better access to their records than I do. And, you know, when you are the CMO of the family, we, we have three children. There are five of us that need eye appointments and dental appointments and doctor appointments. And then you add in caregiving of a family. And how do you see that one patient record? I have, like, five different portal logins to my chart. <laughs> I have a bunch of different ones for another, uh, another EHR. I don't know what the passwords are. I constantly have to reset the password. So it's a little crazy where the Vitus Vet dog portal, I just open it up. It's authenticated by my thumbprint and there are the records right there. So tell us in the product marketing solutions that you're using now, they're for humans. They're not for dogs at the vet. What are some of the most exciting things you've worked on over there today? I think one of the most exciting things is, is just making things more accessible to patients, whether that's 
a phone call because people like my dad are never going to schedule an appointment online. I mean, let's let's be honest. He he doesn't want to waste his time. He won't talk to drive-through boxes. He wants to go in and talk to a real person. Well, at Stereocycle, one of the things we do is run large call centers and operational centers for hospitals so they can take a patient experience and make it an, an even patient experience or a, a central patient experience so everyone calling the hospital has the same experience. It comes into a central area and then we get them to the place they need to get care, whether that's scheduling, whether that's I need to find a doctor, I need to schedule an appointment, I'd like to schedule a mom and baby class at the hospital or a nutrition class, I need to meet with my diabetic counselor. So we give them a unified patient experience instead of them calling. We have a hospital right now that's running like 80 different call centers. And if you think about a patient having to keep track of all those numbers times the number of family members, um, it becomes a huge burden for the patient. And we do have easy access to Google and looking up the hospital and trying to find the phone number right now. But if you could call a a phone number that was like 1-800-XYZ-HEALTH, and you had that number in your head, it was on a billboard, it was on a pamphlet that your doctor mailed you or emailed you, it's a lot easier for you to get in contact with them. And then if you think about people like me who want to do everything online, we do that online scheduling portion and give the digital tools that are necessary to help me make appointments when it's convenient for me. Like the doctor leaves at 5 p.m., I get off work at 5 p.m., I'm not going to sit there and sit on the phone for an hour scheduling you know, well visits for the year when I'm at work. But I can get home after work, I can get online and say, who has an appointment here, who has an appointment here. Um, I recently changed my children and my husband and my eye doctor from someone that didn't do online scheduling to someone that had it because I could just look at the list of available appointments and say, okay, Thursday at 2 p.m. works for us. Click it. It's done. With Stericycle's call center, are you guys, did they provide that for multiple hospitals or is it one, one call center assigned to a hospital? Or? So we run many call centers, and Stericycle operates in multiple verticals. Healthcare is just one of the ones that we that we we work in, um, but it's it's all one call center, and then multiple health systems can be a part of that. The nice thing about that is we can scale very rapidly. If you have a need, something came up, like you have a closure or uh, you have a data breach and you need to have people come in through a central number and get information from somebody, we can scale very rapidly where um, a hospital may not be able to hire people or bring people who are um, off to come in and work on the call center. Um, But most of them are usually dedicated to a health system, especially the larger health systems. They'll be dedicated or semi-dedicated to the health system. So what's really nice about that is I'll talk to some of the agents occasionally and they feel like they're part of the health system. They feel like they work for this health system and they start recognizing the patients. The patients know who they are um, and that really helps them feel like they're part of that family. Especially if you have a patient that's on a frequent recall or seen someone like that or has a chronic condition or a chronic need. Yeah. or a level of acuity that they're able to make that connection. That's great. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from being in meaningful use, like some of this health policy you know, minutia that we dabble in, to being in charge of product marketing? Well, I think anytime you're in product or product development, I believe all of us that dabble in product or meaningful use or getting to the nitty-gritty of a solution, I believe all of us have this marketing ability. And you may be on one side of the spectrum or another. Marketing is a huge 
it's it's a really big field if you think about it. Um, you say marketing, and people people go, oh, like you make commercials for McDonald's. No, um, <laughs> you know this is, what, this is what people outside of the the B two B marketing world think. You know, they think of marketing as this big advertising thing, this big flashy thing. But what my specialty is is really in the messaging and the positioning, the value proposition, which really feeds directly from my product experience. If you're building a meaningful use product, they're saying. Why does the customer need this? Why is it important to them? Important to them? Why are they going to pay money for this? Well, that translates so easily into marketing because that's exactly what you're doing. Why are you going to pay money for this? Why does this meet your need? This keeps you up at night, and this does X, Y, Z to help you rest a little easier. That's just that's just a basic part of marketing. I think everything should start by what is your major value to the customer. And you should start from there, you know, top down and build your messaging and build your content from there. So I think with coming from Meaningful Use, it helped me to get really nitty, you know, nitpicky about what does this product do? Why is it important? Does it check this box? And when you go through a Meaningful Use certification, you have to know those integral pieces of the product and that they're performing X, Y, and Z because you get tested on everything. So I think that very technical background has helped me be a better marketer. Do you do a lot of translating from technical speak to layperson speak? Yes. Yeah, so my team is is actually responsible for taking a product release, whether that's release notes or, hey, we have this really cool new feature and it does this, and making that marketing page, training the salespeople how to use it, adding it to the deck, um, maybe writing a press release about it or sending it to our PR group and having them write a press release about it. So it's taking that technical speak and making somebody who has no idea what it's, what it's about, having them understand very easily mm-hmm. what it does. That's definitely a skill. People <laughs> need that. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, I don't know if it works on the EHR side, but people get in um, their release or update notes and so something will happen overnight mm-hmm. and it'll say okay here's what's been fixed here's the update and for one I think a lot of people don't read them <laughs> two and like if they do it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily tangible it's not like oh I'm gonna use that here here or there like here's the problem it's gonna solve for me and yeah. I imagine what you're doing is kind of taking people from that point of here's the problem here's the solution let me connect the dots yeah absolutely and and it's it's interesting that when you send out a blanket release note like an EHR might if you're speaking to multiple audiences their fluency in EHR speak is going to be very different so if I know right now that my target buyer is a marketer the nice thing about that is I know what marketers are looking for I know what their goals are they have revenue goals they have retention goals and they have certain things that they need to do to meet their goals but then you move to a financial buyer like the CFO the words and the and the, the the wording the the speak that you use the language that you use to take that technical speak and and translate it into something they understand can digest very easily is going to be very different and then you have an operational person so um, working at the enterprise health level is very difficult because you have multiple buyers. You have to translate into multiple languages to make them understand what you do, why it's important, how you can help them um, leverage your partnership and, and make their business more successful. I mean, I imagine you got to put a lot of different hats on just to like, okay, here's my financial hat. <laughs> yeah. Here's my... You know, and, and a lot of that's really, it's, 
and any marketer should do this, especially product marketers or people who work on content or messaging, really that's just interviewing your clients or prospects and saying, what does keep you up at night? I'm not going to guess on this. Is Or if you have a message and then a year later you're coming back to write new content, is this still relevant with you? Like we, I run a client advisory board at our company, and one of the biggest things is we think these top five challenges are your challenges. Is this true? Can you take these pieces and maybe rearrange them so we can better understand what your top priority is? Because we have this at number one. We have consumerism up here, but maybe it's really integration. So having those conversations with customers is essential to being able to translate that language. I imagine you've had a lot of really interesting opportunities to work with all size different clients in all aspects of healthcare. <clears throat> Is there any project in particular that you've been like especially proud of or excited about that has really just been like ah I don't know. Like you excited to work on. I mean, we're not always excited about every single project that we get mm-hmm. to, to do. Is there anything in particular that stands out? You know, I I can't think of anything off the top of my head recently um, I like I like content um, projects that we work on. Um, we're 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 working on a new ebook. Um, we just released a new white paper about multi general multi generational. Uh, there are five generations making healthcare decisions right now. And my mm-hmm. son is about to be twenty. He's Gen Z. He has never known a world without a phone or without a digital screen in front of his face. They're very different than the like my grandmother's age, the greatest generation. Um, you know, she's actually blind now. She she really does like technology. She loved Facebook until she lost her sight. She uses Alexa. So right now with Alexa being HIPAA compliant and us doing scheduling, looking into tying in voice search, not only into your marketing search results, but also into maybe scheduling or maybe medication reminders um, to help people like my grandmother, to help people like my parents who are starting to use Alexa and starting to realize the the robust nature of what that kind of a technology can do to help you stay on top of your healthcare. Uh, like she uses it to call her driver if she needs to go to the doctor. She's not at the point where she can say, Alexa, schedule me an appointment for Monday at 10 a.m. with Dr. So-and-so. That That's where we're headed. But she can already say, you know, hey, James, come pick me up to take me to the doctor with Dr. So-and-so on Monday at 10 a.m. and I need to be picked up at 9.30. Um, and Alexa will call the driver and she'll set up an appointment. So I think there's a lot of really cool technologies. Uh, digital assistants are just one of them. Um, my favorite implementation product project actually was a long time ago in Meaningful Use. And we implemented a nursing um, system down in a hospital in South Texas. And getting to work with the patients and the nurses, I think, was it was the closest I've ever been to maybe that doctor seat where we were in the hospital and actually asked if I could wear scrubs. Uh, <laughs> so being in the hospital environment was, um, it was such a thrill to me. Um, I kind of think one of these days when my, when my kids graduate high school and move out that working for a provider might just be exactly what I've always dreamed of. Maybe. You hit earlier on the advances on the patient, consumer, and caregiver side, the example with your grandmother and Alexa, or about how your father really, you know, his choice is always going to be to schedule online. And then in just a position to what you said at the beginning about how you can't even access your records, when you see the general world advancing at a rate that is exceeding our ability to not be able to integrate at an industry level, what does that feel like for you? What do you think you know, the, the next evolution of things are going to hold to help kind of close that divide? 
Yeah, and it's it's going to have to to make the patient experience easy because we've all seen if it's not. There are some patients who are very persistent, um, and they're very on top of their medical conditions, and they will persist. But a lot of people give up. If they meet resistance, they just kind of give up. So the integration challenge is going to have to be solved. There are a lot of great companies out there that are trying to tackle this right now using APIs into the EHRs. Um, Sansoro Health is, is one of them that I'm really familiar with. It's doing great work into helping solve the interoperability challenge. And I honestly believe, in my own opinion, that a national patient identification system is, is the only way. And, and I don't know if that's only going to happen if we ever get to single payer. Um, I don't know if that's something that is going to be a, like a private company that comes in and, and stewards this and gets it up and running. I don't know what the benefit would be to them. But to the patient, if you think about anyone can run my social security number and get a credit score on me, what if any doctor could run my national patient identification number and get like a health score on me? Like a, okay, here's some red flags. And, and then maybe if I gave them permission, they could access all the main important things about me, like I'm allergic to all cephalosporin drugs. That's kind of a big deal. But the only hospital chain that knows that in Texas is Texas Health Resources. If I go to Baylor Health, they don't know that. And if I come in on a code and I'm out and no one can tell them I'm allergic to cephalosporin medication, that's very common, a preoperative drug they give you to combat infection. So that national patient identification system, if they ran that number, scanning it from, I don't know, driver's license or a card I carry. Um, I don't know what that looks like, but I think that is the future. I think that that would be a major catalyst to interoperability for sure. Because we can integrate. We can interface. We have HIEs. We can do it. I'm starting to wonder if it's a, we don't want to do it because there's not a financial interest for me as as an organization to integrate with XYZ organization down the road. But the, your your point is well taken because the framework it, to do it and to do it safely does exist. And to you, your point, like releasing additional information or you look at CFR and mental health, you know, then you could give empower the patient to say, do I or don't I want to share these details with this provider, yes. right? We could possibly hold information back yeah. and empower the patient in having that well, ownership okay. of the ID, just like you're empowered to really retain what does and doesn't go on with that social. And, and it's so easy. We have the technology. Think about Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you can check your privacy and permissions. You can do it on LinkedIn. You can say, I want all of this to be private. Or I just want to share my profile and title. I want to share my email. Facebook, you can even weed out individual people. So mm-hmm. if we, we have the technology, we need to apply it into healthcare because then I could say if I had a mental health concern or condition, I'd like to share this with these doctors who are mm-hmm. sworn to privacy, but not employers and maybe maybe not even certain payers. Mm-hmm. We have the technology. We're just we're not there with healthcare yet. I could see that backfiring if people don't know the settings where people like accidentally post on main Facebook when they meant to post in a <laughs> in a private group. Or hey, something. it happens yes. to the best of us. Oh, and, fa- and, and fake it does. And Facebook <laughs> isn't the. I mean, it's not the best. Example, but just if you look at just the it's back in privacy settings, <laughs> right? So if you had a national patient identification system and they had a portal, for example, that had security settings like Facebook, where I could go in and check what I want to share, who I want to share with, yeah. who's my next of kin, who should do call if I'm coding, like these really, or if I come in from a car accident, these really important things. The technology's built out there. We just need to apply it to healthcare. 
And I think it seems even easier because now we have a consolidation of payers and EHRs in the marketplace. Yep. There's really less people, less players in this space to manage it. And honestly, if you think about it, the payer is the key because they have all of this information. They have everything about me. They know if I'm filling my medication or if I'm not. They know where I'm filling it. They know how often I'm filling it. So they're in a, almost a better position to be the sharers of the data than the actual health system itself. You say that, you know, we work on a side where there's a lot of information, though, that is also held back. And so on the payer side, but I think it's a great example of what they can do. And when you talk about it from that perspective, people that are fearful of the information being shared, I kind of, I have to giggle in the back of my head because you know, kind of, you know, you've looked behind the curtain, you know how the sausage is made. And I think they already know that mm -hmm. unless you just cash paid a visit right. and the fill of a script, they know it mm -hmm. to some extent, they're going to know it for most patients. So, um, that kind of leads us to our second question, and we touched on it a little bit. You're talking about national patient identifier being you know, helpful, although I think we have to use something other than NPI. If you could put on your magical thinking hat and think about a wish that you would like to see come true in healthcare, health IT, with your background, everything you've seen, what would be your wish if you could snap your fingers and time, money, place are not a concern? It has to be the interoperability. It has to be access to all of my data um, and not filling out paper forms anymore because everyone has easy access to all of my data, of course at my will. Um, I just think that would solve so many other challenges would kind of fall into place if we could just solve that. I know we can solve it if we would just work together to, to fix the issues that we are having. Um, and maybe, maybe that ne needs a better infrastructure, but I would definitely snap my fingers and solve interoperability and patient identification. <clears throat> what would that mean for patients like your father that has Parkinson's? Or if you want to tell me it's none of my business, I'll be quiet. <laughs> well, for a patient like my father, he he has multiple doctors. He's he's in remission for cancer, but he still has to check for for cancer every year so he's got an oncologist he's got his primary care doctor he's got a neurologist for parkinson's but he also sees other specialists um, because parkinson's is, is a multi-system multi-organ disease and the neurologist kind of is like the quarterback but there are other providers involved in his care he has so many medications my mom asked me once to run home from church and grab him a couple of his pills and she mentioned the brand name of it but his pillbox only had the generic name on it um, and so I think if we could get all this information where he could access everything and have it right in front of him, he could share it with his family members who are helping to take care of him. It would show the brand and the generic name together. You know, it just make an easy view. Like here is a record of my medication and when I need to take it and what it looks like each day. If I haven't, I, like I can tell if he hasn't taken his dopamine, I know what that does to him. But I don't know what the medicine, he, it's not dopamine, it's called something else. So an easier view for caregivers, um, babysitters, I think about records when you, when I send my daughter who has asthma to school and she's got bags of medicine, if I could just show them this, this doctor record of here is the prescription, here's what they say to use it when she's at a, an asthma level yellow, we do red, yellow, green for mm -hmm. asthma. Um, and when she's on a yellow day, she needs a little bit more steroid than normal. So 
if I could just share that one screen view from the doctor with the doctor's signature on it without having to run around and get permission for her to carry her asthma medicine everywhere because it's right there from the source of truth, the medical record. Um, I think a lot of us could just have easier, <laughs> easier lives when you have a chronic condition. Absolutely. We talk about healthcare and how complicated it is <clears throat> and how it changes essentially, you know how much it's changed over even just the last probably five to ten years. Mm-hmm. How do you keep up? What do you read? What do you listen to? What is what are some of the more influential media that, you know, kind of are influences? So when I was in the government side, it was definitely CMS. Um, I actually had push notifications on Twitter and every other social media for CMS so I could find out if new regulations came out. Um, I have found Twitter to be a godsend um, as I've switched over from more government CQMs and MIPS into more of a patient, patient engagement, patient experience. And patient experience is a very broad subject. We, we touch on a lot of different technology, telephone, text, email, um, digital assistance, um, all kinds of different things where I need to stay up on everything. So Twitter has been a godsend to me because I can start filtering for, okay, patient engagement, what does that really mean, and start reading different people and finding who are the real experts who are actually talking about real patient engagement and not patient engagement's a buzzword. If you walk through the Hems mm-hmm. vendor hall floor, you'll see it on everyone's booth because they, they caught on that it was a big deal and people needed to care about what patients thought. Um, I say health IT news, any of the main um, online newsletters, I, I follow all of them. I get most of them delivered into my inbox. But going to conferences, I find it more useful to find applicable applicable um, technology for now because then you start seeing all the case studies and how they've been able to change patients lives or they've been able to make, make it easier for doctors and more enjoyable for doctors to do their job by um, implementing a certain technology so conferences like hymns um, expo health that we're at this week is a great one because they focus on Things you can do today, <laughs> not this pie-in-the-sky dream. Like when you walk through the HEMS vendor hall floor and you're trying all the virtual reality stuff, you're like, this is really cool, but how is this going to help me get access to my medical records? Uh, you know, so I, I love attending conferences when I'm able to um, and meeting with people and just listening to, um, listening to experts online. I don't know if it's helpful at all. So if people too busy to read, (laughs) if people want to find you and you're not too busy to respond, where can they find out more about you, where you're working, or if they just want to connect, what are your handles? Tell us where you're at online. I'm on Twitter um, at Sarah Benite. Uh, I kind of jokingly had a contest last year to say um, I'll send a Starbucks gift card to anyone that can find a decent Twitter handle for me that's shorter because someone said my handle was too long and difficult. But it's Ben Knight, uh, B-N-N-I-G-H-T, just like it sounds. I'm also on LinkedIn, which is, LinkedIn's probably my preferred method of contact for professional um, reaching out. Um, I usually respond pretty well on LinkedIn if someone asks me, um, sends me a direct message or sends me a friend request. I'll almost always accept it and respond when I'm able. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thanks for talking with us. Uh, You're welcome. I don't know what I'm doing, but yes, you do. No, that's great. 
and thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.